Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From our socially distanced virtual lunch table in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Aschuti, Tulane University Freeman School of Business professor and director of the Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. It's not surprising that the advent of a rampant, contagious, deadly virus is changing the way we live. What perhaps is surprising is the speed with which we've adapted our new way of life and the way we're putting technology to work for us. One of the most surprising of these changes has been the almost overnight embrace of telemedicine. If you haven't already experienced it, telemedicine is where you have a virtual visit with your doctor. You're at home, the doctor is at the clinic, and you're having a video conference on an app on your phone. Telemedicine has been around for a while, but the COVID-19 pandemic has seen it ramp way up. For example, on Oshner's Health Systems Telemedicine app, on March 2nd, they had 39 visits. A month later, on April 2nd, they had 2,700 the System Chair of Telemedicine and Digital Health at Oshner Health Systems is David Houghton. David, welcome out to lunch. Thank you, Peter. It's great to be here. The other major technological adoption during the COVID era has been our newfound love of delivery. Before COVID, you might not have gotten food delivered from a restaurant, but there's a good chance you do now. If you own a restaurant and you always thought delivery was just for second-rate fast food, well, there's a good chance you don't think that way anymore. Delivery has been a lifesaver for restaurants during the pandemic. From the first days when they had to close completely through the 25% and 50% occupancy restrictions, delivery has been another revenue stream for everybody, including the most unlikely, like Dickie Brennan's and Sylvain in the French Quarter. These kinds of restaurants don't want to mess with Uber Eats or even Waiter. Instead, a lot of local restaurants, over 250, prefer a specialized local delivery service called Delivery Nola. The word delivery doesn't have the first E, so it's spelled D apostrophe livery. The owner of Delivery Nola is Drew Harrington. Drew, welcome out to lunch. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Good to see everybody. David, let's start with telemedicine. Anyone who's had a virtual visit with their doctor over the pandemic has pretty much had the same reaction. They can't believe how great it was. There's no waiting in the waiting room. There's no waiting around the exam room for the doctor to show up. No parking. And the conversation with the doctor is the same you'd have if you were at the clinic. There just doesn't seem to be a downside to it at all. So I'm wondering what telemedicine is like on the other side of the app for the doctor. Is it more efficient like it is for the patient, or does it feel compromised like you can't provide the same level of care as you can if you're in the same room? Peter, that's a, that's a great point. And I think for the first part, you really highlighted why it's been so successful. What we've done is, is cut away a lot of the, the friction points that patients have had for years, forever really, in lack of access, lack of convenience, um, often with uh, escalating costs associated with, with medical care. And we've distilled it down to the essence 
of that patient doctor or provider uh, patient relationship. And so I think that's why it's been um, such a tremendous uh, opportunity for growth during the pandemic. And luckily for us at places like Oxford and the role that I'm able to to uh, work with there is that we were already building these platforms. We already had experience really going back almost 20 years with different types of telemedicine products across the Gulf South, really to, to try to reach the patients where they are. But you're right, it's a, it's a different way of, of practice for a, for a physician. And I would argue that some of the inertia, the lack of uptake in some spheres was because of reticence on the part of the docs. Um, there's something about being able to, to lay hands on a patient. There's something about being able to be in that close proximity. Um, and there are, as you suggested, gaps still in the ability to make the highest level of diagnoses um, and to potentially um, be able to, to act with 100% certainty. And yet, in a triage role, in an opportunity where patients would have to go without, and I would say under the unique model that has become more evident during COVID, to have existing chronic diseases be managed from home, uh, uh, diabetes, hypertension, weight management, the things that we recognize actually were increasing people's risks for having a poorer outcome with the virus. Well, these are diagnoses that are already well established. That patient-doctor relationship is already well established. And so to be able to carry that forward um, has really been remarkable. And you mentioned the growth in April. We've now done more than 180,000 virtual visits um, just, just since the, the rise of the pandemic. And um, while it's, it's settled a little bit, uh, we know that it's here to stay. And uh, David, the, you know, I'm going to miss being in the office for one reason. I used to be able to catch up on old magazines there, but I think that's, that's going to be a thing of the past. And, you know, I had a checkup online or checkup with the app, but it's much more than that, right? I mean, uh, when I was doing the research, I saw things like, uh, oh, uh, first of all, the one I liked was Telestork, which sort of implies that the stork does bring the baby. I'm really glad this was cleared up. What is that about? <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah, so Peter, that we've, we've had so many different programs online and growing for several years. And, and we really think of them in three arenas. How are you gonna be able to see a patient in a hospital style environment, often bringing the expertise to the bedside with things like telestroke, which takes care of patients who, um, where we realize time is brain and they need to be seen by a stroke specialist. We have telepsychiatric offerings for the emergency department and telestork, right? One of our cleverly named opportunities to have really an ICU level attendant who is uh, an obstetrician, be able to look in and be a second set of eyes and ears for our, our laboring mothers and their, and their pending deliveries. Um, this has been something that's been online now for several years, and it's really resulted in remarkable outcomes like fewer babies that had to go to the intensive care unit, shortening hospital stays. And, and frankly, the, the, the mothers are, feel much more safe knowing that there's somebody else looking in and checking in on them. And it's been critical again at a time when we realized that our hospitals were such in need of extra services. Now, Drew, with all the food delivery options out there, Uber Eats, Waiter, DoorDash, Postmates, and all the fast food restaurants who are now offering their own delivery, it seems like this would be a highly competitive business to get into. As I understand it, the reason a restaurant might prefer working with your company, Delivery, over the others is that you charge substantially less uh, than the others do. With delivery, uh, the most restaurant is going to pay for any order is 17%, whereas apparently Uber Eats charges a restaurant 30%. If that's true, what do you know that Uber Eats doesn't know about running a profitable food delivery business? How can you afford to undercut them so drastically and yet you still make money? <laughs> 
Uh, that's a real good question. As a matter of fact, uh, <laughs> when uh, when uh, my business partner and I got into this, our both of our wives were looking at us like, "Y'all are crazy." I mean, there's just this is such a saturated market. Um, and, and true, if you look at it on the surface, it is. But the key difference is customer service and a local touch and feel. And um, you know, we're we're different. We're not planning on getting out ahead of our skis. We want to stay on top of revenue. Um, and we're not a grow at all cost. I mean, if you can look at any of those other companies, none of them are profitable. Um, they're all just spending, 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 trying to acquire the next city. And our approach is much different. It's do the best job you can in the city you're in and cultivate and develop those relationships. Be fair to everybody that's uh, involved in the equation and the business will grow. And as you can imagine uh, the COVID you know, pandemic had a lot to do with it. Um, but you know, we're, we seem to pick up a higher order rate. Uh, I think our average order on the app is somewhere between 55 and $60. Um, and we have a sliding scale, like you mentioned. And at that rate, we're, we're at 11% for our restaurant owners. I mean, that's a heck of a lot more reasonable than 30, even 35% that some of the big national guys are, are, are charging to deliver food. Just doesn't make sense. I mean, if you have a two, we had a, we had a $300 order last night that went out uh, from Petois. You know, you're going to pay somebody 90 bucks to deliver a $300 order? Just doesn't make sense. It's the same, it's the exact same task. Why not make it a reasonable task and, and provide that little extra customer service? And that's really what our niche is. You know, we do have we do have plans to go into other cities, but we're not going to blow in there with a huge marketing campaign. What we're going to do is we're going to find the right local person in that city and make sure they have the connections, the relationships, and we'll give them all the tools they need to be successful. And we'll just stand on the back end and say and be advi an advisory board for them, basically. Drew, that's very interesting because when you look at the the competitors you have, they're basically funded at Silicon Valley funding, and all those guys seem to care about is growth and not profits. Right. So, uh, very very different different picture in here. What now that you've got this down? Um, I'm just thinking about this. You you um you could deliver other things other than food, right? That is true, and that's part of our uh, part of our growth strategy. I mean, we, we have already started doing some business to business transactions, um, things like restaurants that have trouble getting to their supply stores, whether it be a, a restaurant depot or a Cisco. Uh, we've started offering, you know, hot shot delivery services for our for our restaurant partners. But in addition to that, imagine if you uh, let's say, you know, New Orleans is a very big, obviously the biggest Mardi Gras town. Imagine if you needed to rent a tuxedo for the night um, and your local store actually had all your measurements and everything. So all you'd have to do is place a phone call and say, hey, you know, this is Drew Harrington. Can you send over a tuxedo? We'll, we'll have Delivery Nola pick it up and uh, we can pick it up. And you know what the cool thing about that? 
the next morning when you're feeling a little tired, maybe a little hungover, we can pick up the tuxedo and bring it right back to the same store. <laughs> I see where your expansion is going, and I really, I really like it. The, now, when you got started, we always talk to people that started these businesses. Was it capital intensive? You, you had to develop that app. I guess the app had actually been developed a few years back. Yeah, and that, that's kind of an ongoing joke between my business partner and I. You know, you ask him the exact same question as to when did y'all start that you asked me, you know, a few months back, I would say nine months and he would say nine years. And people would look at us like, uh, that's kind of a spread there. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, you know, Stephen Bandai is my business partner's name. He actually owns a, uh, a, a juice bar called De Juice. And um, when he originally got into business, he had these little solar powered pedal juice stations that he would send out into the neighborhoods. And back in the day, he was using, you know, cell phones and pagers to replenish those juice carts. Uh, and as things developed, he started to look into developing an app, really just to use in-house to replenish the juice carts. And then once he got that figured out, he was like, well, you know what, maybe I ought to start using this to just offer delivery service to our customers. And that's how the app really started. It started in little bits and pieces. And uh, really what happened is about two years ago, a lot of the big national companies started putting out these much, much higher fees. And at that point, that's when we're like, this is insane. Who is going to give away 30, 35% in some cases to somebody else just to have their food delivered? And, you know, you look at these high-end restaurants I mean, you're like asking somebody to put their art in the back of a pickup truck and charge them 30% for it. It just doesn't make sense. So you know, we approached we approached it differently. And, um, you know, we started in a time that was really strange. We scraped some nickels together. And the reception was pretty big. And right from the very beginning, you know, we were fairly profitable. You know, we didn't bring home a lot of money but we were profitable. We weren't in a hole like everybody else was. So, you know, that's our plan is just to keep moving forward and stay on top of our skis and not get ahead of them. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Drew Harrington from the food delivery service, Delivery NOLA, and Dr. David Houghton from the telemedicine department at Oshner Health System. We'll be right back after this very brief break. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Drew Harrington from the food delivery service Delivery NOLA and Dr. David Houghton from the telemedicine department of Oshner Health Systems. Now, David, you are basically integrating technology and healthcare. Is it just you in a like a broom closet at Oshner coming up with all these new new things, or is there what is it? Is it a department? Uh, is it uh, is it a lot of folks trying to come up with ideas? Absolutely. It's certainly not just me. I'll tell you that, Peter. And, and, and one of my favorite things to say to, to both the folks that I help lead, as well as, you know, more than 3,000 physicians across the organization and more than 2,000 advanced practitioners providers like, like nurse practitioners and PAs is that really telemedicine is just a tool. Um, not unlike the, the way that you deliver, you know, food to somebody at home, we're really delivering what we hope is the same level of care under most circumstances to somebody in their most comfortable environment. And so to build that, yes, I've, I've, I've been fortunate enough to work with 
um, a terrific uh, telemedicine team. We do have our own department. It sort of runs throughout um, our entire health system. Um, we're there to help solve problems. We get the best ideas from patients and from other providers. Um, and I'll tell you, my team is significantly younger than I am. So we get great ideas from millennials and, and Gen Z. And so to be able to have the folks that uh, have really lived in a, in a digital world when arguably medicine has remained pretty analog for a lot of years, it's those people around me um, that have allowed telemedicine to be so successful and to have us have the platform that was, that was ready to take on and shoulder all of those patient visits that have happened over the last several months. David, I got to ask this, the practical question, does insurance pay for telemedicine and did it always? So the, so the first part is yes, it does. And in fact, some of the uh, most remarkable changes that occurred during COVID um, was some relaxation of, of what I would argue and most of us would argue were fairly antiquated rules on what um, constituted telemedicine and what would be able to be recognized as the same office visit, even if it wasn't in the office. Uh, much of that's come uh, from the top down from the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. And as they expanded, um, largely most of the other third party payers, if they weren't already covering telemedicine, followed suit. It was the right thing to do, obviously, to keep people most safe when able. Um, but what's interesting will be to see how that stays. And um, most of us who do what we do, uh, do what we do are, are fairly confident that there will remain opportunities to continue to be reimbursed. Um, and, and ultimately, I think there's a lot of value to be seen in health systems, in patients, and for those payers um, to be able to deliver healthcare in a simpler and ultimately cheaper environment um, means that your outcomes are gonna be better with lower cost. And Drew, I know I could ask this to both of you, but when we do come up with a vaccine and this is over, uh, do you get the toothpaste back in the tube or is this is it changed forever? The ideas of, uh, for instance, delivery in your case, Drew? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, you know, it's funny because before COVID, um, a lot of the higher end restaurants that we have on the platform, uh, this was kind of a taboo subject. It was kind of like, ah, delivery guys, you know, get out of here. And, uh, and I said, just give me five minutes. Let me explain how we're doing something differently. And, uh, and when we did, they kind of saw the, the writing on the wall that this is not something that's going away. I mean, the growth pattern for delivery um, has just been phenomenal over the past five, six years. And it's not slowing down. If anything, it's getting bigger and bigger. And it's just a more convenient way. I, I will say, I'm going to tell you a little bit about something that, that happened to us because of the COVID uh, pandemic, you know, there was an RFP that went out with the city of New Orleans and the RFP was to actually feed at-risk citizens that may have been, you know, may have tested positive or may have been shut-ins or have other, um, you know, extenuating circumstances with their, you know, health issues or things like that. And they reached out to a group called Chess Brigade to try and put together a proposal to make meals that local restaurants could put together and then deliver those meals or at least have a pickup spot. And originally they were gonna do the majority of the meals picked up from a lo lo various locations around the city. Um, and then they saw what we were doing and doing something a little differently than uh, what other delivery apps were doing. And they approached us to say, hey, well, why, don't, why don't you guys take it the last mile? And we were able to come up with a cost-effective price the thing that was cool about it is we were able to adjust 
our technology to make it work in that situation. And it's, it's been a phenomenal program that the city has put out there. And it's actually opened doors for, we're, we're now delivering lunches and breakfasts, uh, breakfast to, um, to a lot of school children that are homeschooling right now. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Dr. David Houghton. He's the System Chair of Telemedicine and Digital Health at Oshner Health System. And Drew Harrington, the owner of food delivery company Delivery Nola. Now, David and Drew, this is the part of the show we call another great idea. Uh, maybe you've got a friend like this, someone who's always got a great idea for you. Uh, they tell you about this job you should apply for, or that guy you should network with on LinkedIn, or a great investment opportunity you should jump on. You can take advice like this, and it turns out to be a disaster. You can dismiss this advice and miss out on something that might have turned out really great, or you can take your friend's advice, and it turns out to be the best thing that's ever happened to you. Do you have an example in your life or career of a friend who had a great idea for you? Did you, did you take their advice, and, and how did it turn out? Uh, start with David. Yeah, so it's, it's a great question, and, and if you think about where telemedicine and, and digital health products are going, um, everybody's got a great idea for a, a new home diagnostic service or trying to layer in some other nifty new whiz-bang doodad that's going to completely revolutionary, revolutionize the ability to, to diagnose or treat something. And some of those have, have, have wings, uh, many of them don't. But, but I'll, I'll tell you, I think the best advice that I've got that I'm able to apply right now um, was about being a young leader or a relatively young leader um, in a large hospital system where a lot of the, the doctors and, and providers that I work with are older than I am and have sort of worked in a more traditional um, and, as I mentioned earlier, analog style environment. Um, and that, that advice actually came from my dad years ago, um, who was not in healthcare. He worked for a bank. And he sort of told me, he said, David, there's going to be this time, if you're successful, that you're going to be younger than the people that you lead and you need to understand how to communicate with them, how to sort of shepherd them into something different and new, um, create trust, know when to roll up your sleeves. And in this case, it really has helped to have a lot of uh, millennials and Gen Z types working with me. It gives me a little bit of street cred. Um, of course, the corollary to that is there will be a time when somebody else will leapfrog me, will be younger than I am, and will be my boss. And you just have to be able to swallow both of those uh, pills equally. But for, for the meantime, at Crawfish Boils, you're a big attraction. That, that's, that's, yeah. that's exactly right. <laughs> and, and we have a product that'll help you with your high blood pressure. <laughs> oh, and so partially you're in sales. This is great. Now, Drew, what about yourself? Well, you know, I've always kind of been an entrepreneur. I mean, it's it's one of those things when you live in a city like New Orleans, you either need to be a doctor or a lawyer, uh, and or you've got to be a pretty good entrepreneur. And, uh, you know, I've always had the kind of the mantra of always keep looking at new things. I mean, and I've, I've, I've been in the construction world. I've been in uh, uh, product manufacturing. Um, I, I mean, on top of this, I got two or three other things I'm working on that are always entrepreneurial. Um, that are always seem like great ideas. Some, like you said, some of them pan out and require, you know, more capital be, to be pumped into them to see what, what you know, where they'll go in the marketplace. Um, I, you know, my mantra is just keep on looking. Always look at, at, at new things, new technology. 
Um, and I think that's kind of one of those things. I, I tend to get bored easily. And if I'm not always looking at new things that could have potential, um, that's just not an option for me. I just, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just enjoy always looking at new things. So are you like a shark if you stop swimming and just die? And <laughs> is that the answer? Hey, Drew, I read one thing I wanted to ask you about is, is um, you kind of have a different angle when you're approaching uh, like a high-end restaurant. I mean, we talk about the price, but this food is of such high quality. You, are you, sometimes you're actually talking to the chef. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, and I, and I think I've always been kind of a foodie kind of guy and I've always liked cooking, you know, my, my own stuff. I'm, I'm heavily involved in a couple of barbecue groups that, uh, you know, we're always tinkering with things. So, you know, when I walk into a chef's uh, domain, I don't, I don't try and push something on him that he's not familiar with. I like to find out what's going on in the kitchen. You know, show me some cool stuff. What are you working on? And, and it, you know, one of the things that kind of, that kind of, you know, back up a little bit, what's this? I thought you were a delivery guy. And uh, I'm like, well, yeah, but I want to make sure I understand what, what you're cooking so we can deliver it in the best manner possible. You know, I don't, I don't want to be running poached fish down the road and have it turned to mush on the way. Let's, let's see what you're cooking, chef. And let's see, you know, what we can do on our end to help make sure that piece of art is delivered, you know, the way you want it delivered. And a lot of your deliverers are former restaurant servers, right? So Yeah. And that was one of the things that kind of, uh, when we had talked to some of the chefs we were working with, you know, everybody was kind of in this panic about what do we do with our staff? What's going to happen? Um, and when I just flat out told them, I said, look, we'll hire your, we will hire your wait staff to come drive for us. I know that's not what they want to do, but it's something they can do to kind of get us next to the new normal. Um, but the cool thing is our technology can apply those delivery folks to the deliveries for those particular restaurants. So how cool would that be if you place an order from like a La Petite grocery and your favorite server just happens <laughs> to drive up and bring it to your front door? I mean, it's almost like a reunion. And that happened over and over again. And it kind of gave us goosebumps when it actually happened because we were kind of aiming for that. You know, everybody has their favorite server at different restaurants around town. It's just one of those New Orleans things. So we were able to kind of, you know, deliver that experience as well, which I thought was cool. True. I love that story about going to the chef to try to figure out the right way to do it. it there's a ton of similarities in what we do with telemedicine, believe it or not. I'm, an, I'm a neurologist. Um, which means I am not a cardiologist, ear, nose, and throat doc, cancer doc, rheumatologist, what have you. And so for me to try to understand the best way to, to connect a patient visit with their other specialist, I go, I go right to that head chef, right to that cardiologist, right to that ear, nose, and right. throat doc and say, listen, we, we're the tool. We want to be here to help, but make sure that we're just not flipping on a camera and making a Zoom call. What can we do to actually recreate that experience? How are we gonna allow you to work at the highest level? What will make sure that your patient that you've known and they've trusted you for a decade will feel like they're there? I think there's a, there's a ton of similarities in, in making sure that what we build are the things that really do create that seamless connection for the last mile.
If there's one thing we've discovered during the COVID-19 pandemic, it's that being stuck at home doesn't have to deprive you of everything the world has to offer. It's true. There's nothing quite like getting out of the house and having real social interaction. But when you can't or you just don't want to go out into the world, you can have most of the world come to you, including your doctor and fine dining. David and Drew, you're both on the cutting edge of change, and I have the distinct impression that we're only at the very beginning of this development of telemedicine and home delivery. I look forward to keeping up with both of you. Thank you, David and Drew, for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you, Peter. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Dr. David Houghton. He's the System Chair of Telemedicine and Digital Health at Oshner Health Systems, and Drew Harrington, owner of Delivery NOLA. We edited this show to fit into the time slot here at WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation to find out more about telemedicine and food delivery by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, it's neworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our other Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at LaFleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week for more business, New Orleans style, on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.